This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman Knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Desperation can at times be a catalyst for foolish decisions. Desperation can at times be a catalyst for foolish decisions. Most of us, at least if we are truthful, have have been there and maybe more times than we care to share. And if you have not, just wait a little while. Your time will come soon enough. When When you really get down to it, societies like ours, at least in some ways, They feed off of whatever fuels desperation. Now, of course, market researchers and news outlets and advertising firms, they don't just come right out and say that when scarcity of resources is real or when it is perceived to be real, they exploit the market for monetary gain. But that's exactly what they do. Financially, it makes the world go round when consumers consume. This is how the matchmaking industry has developed so quickly, at least in my lifetime. Longing to know and be known by the opposite sex in very non-platonic ways, beyond the laborious, impersonal effort that it takes to swipe right, People in this industry, this matchmaking industry is is created because people pay other people, so-called experts, to do what once upon a time came rather naturally. If you will permit me, back in the day, a man and woman sometimes were set up by a friend to maybe see if if, if a connection was made. And and in another scenario, and I know this may sound antiquated because I'm an old person, uh, after some period of time together, maybe they were courting, they were dating, they were, they were doing a little dance together, at some time, the man would pursue the woman. Amen, somebody. I'll amen myself. <laughs> but unfortunately, nowadays, these days, today, ease and expediency have become our muse. On Black Friday in the U.S. and Boxing Day here in Canada, Desperation is obvious as well, with the the long lines that you see snaked around Best Buy or Costco for the the outdoor overnight marathon sleepover that feeds our need for retail therapy. 
it would seem that desperation was behind Major League Baseball's Houston Astros' decision to cheat by using a video camera system to steal the signs of opposing teams in 2017 when they won the World Championship, the World Series, and then also in 2018. Desperation. Nevertheless, desperation is not corrupt by default. Actually, it's quite neutral, and it can be used for good. No invention like vaccines, assembly line manufacturing, or the printing press, no, no movement for independence or equality or safety has ever been procured minus desperation to spark it. Feeling backed into a corner, a choice must be made. You gonna fight? or you're going to flee. Fight or flight is what it's called. And fighting can inspire innovation whereby we categorically feel burdened to problem solve or die. And for the Christian, when harnessed properly, desperation, oh, desperation is beautiful. For example, the very foundation of our faith is rooted in desperate surrender to an understanding that we need God. God does not need us. Much more, much more than cooked food and, and way beyond shelter without living water as the one and the only oasis of eternal life, we are doomed. Salvation, then, is, is much less of a relaxed purely cerebral calculation of spiritual integers and exponents. Rather, it, it marks renunciation. Salvation marks a yielding, a hands thrown up in defeated exasperation, imploring Jesus, you got to take this wheel and chart his will through the thorns and thistles that you cannot defeat yourself. We are all desperate for someone, all desperate for something sometime in this thing called life. However, it isn't always faith, and the someone isn't always Jesus, but in this story, both can be found. Fresh from the region of the Gerasenes, where he restored a demon-possessed man, sending the polluted spirits into a herd of about 2,000 pigs that then gave themselves over to swine suicide, drowning in a lake nearby, Jesus is intercepted, persuaded to intervene in the life of Jairus's little daughter. He is again on the move. Jesus is Johnny on the spot. He's committed to bringing healing to hurting people. This is what Jesus does, and while he's on his way, an unplanned situation develops. While traversing through a large crowd pressed in around him, a, a woman stricken with vaginal hemorrhaging, verse 27, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. And quicker than the time it takes to make instant oatmeal, she is healed. I'm going to just rewind that because y'all don't seem excited about that. She is healed. Like, I don't really get down with oatmeal, but my wife kind of makes me eat it. 
And, and in the morning, you know, it's just three minutes. You do the boiling water or you put it in the microwave and it's like, boom, I got instant oatmeal. That's not instant anything because I had to do some work. This was like she touched him and poof, oh my goodness, I'm healed. That, that, is, that is wonderful. She's healed. Twelve years of constant bleeding is over, or 4,380 days of suffering is over. Not to mention the social contempt that she had to suffer through. It now instantly was a thing of the past. And utterly destitute, having spent all that she had, verse 26 says, ceremonially unclean, pariah of the culture whom everyone needed to stare, steer clear from, this was, this was her miserable reality, but in an instant, it was over. But it took only one covert, unauthorized touch of Jesus' garment for that freedom to be present. I want you to listen to how Jesus' disciples respond when he asks a question that he already knows the answer to. That's what Jesus does. Who touched my clothes? Verse 30 exacerbated and, and a bit perturbed, it seems the disciples are. It's, it's as if they're on some, go head on, Jesus, with, with all this super spiritual mumbo-jumbo. Ain't nobody got time for that, Jesus. Brother, verse 31, you, you see the people crowding against you. you I mean, you, you here with us. You see them here, and yet you can ask Jesus, who touched me? I mean, now maybe, maybe, I'm open to critique. Maybe I'm taking this too far, but it, it sounds borderline disrespectful. I mean, I mean, I know that the disciples don't know all that they think that they know about Jesus, but I would assume that they would be wise enough to put some respect on Jesus' name and not, and not just talk to him any old kind of way. I mean, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, I'm, I'm very respectful of Jesus because we, we have very pertinent conversations, and I call him by his title, Lord of Lords, all the time, but I don't believe you. <laughs> Nevertheless, tense criticism is fermenting as the story unfolds. The disciples have a one-track mind. Their job is to get Jesus to Jairus' house to save Jairus' sick daughter, and his, Jairus is, is someone who's a, a synagogue leader. He's like an important dude. He's someone who's not like everybody else. And as far as they are concerned, the disciples, Jairus' daughter is the priority. They don't have time to entertain Jesus' ramblings. I mean, we know he's a spiritual dude, but he's rambling on about how somebody touched him. And they definitely don't have the patience and time or interest for this exchange that followed once this now-restored woman revealed herself and her testimony to Jesus. It's fascinating, though, that, that she sought Jesus out with both everything to lose and nothing to lose as a woman who touched any man, much less a woman who touched a rabbi, much less a woman who touched a man who was a rabbi and an unclean woman at that who would do this in public she did not serendipitously bump into Jesus. She didn't land in the right place at the right time. Quite the opposite. It's as if she was an ancient Arabian ninja. And on 
on her last leg in more ways than one, it was upon hearing about Jesus that she then presumably devised a plan to be where he would be and cleverly maneuver herself into close enough proximity in this public space to see if what she hoped was true. Verse 28, if I I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That, that takes a delicate balance of patience and skill, but it also takes something else. It takes R-I-S-K. What does that spell? Risk. It takes risk. Fittingly, for the, the ominous nature of her situation, this woman threw caution to the wind in chasing freedom that could be, freedom that would be, freedom that is only found in Jesus. And all these thousands of years later, it begs the question that I have for you this morning, will you take the risk? And perhaps, while the the situation this unidentified woman faced had deteriorated beyond beyond any ability or control of her own, she, she had no fault in it, We would be wise to be proactive earlier in the midst of trouble, whether that trouble is self-induced or not. When things are peachy keen and erroneous though it is, I don't feel, you don't feel any palpable pressing need for Jesus. What we tend to do is keep him at arm's length, presuming all along in our privilege, however, that he's on standby. Well, you know, because he's Jesus, and that's what Jesus does. He stands by. We think that this Jesus is is happily ready. He's willing. He's able to swoop in and save the day as if he were the Word made flesh dressed as Batman. I mean, sure, we engage in some pious rhythms or abide by some cool ethical principles that altogether are not bad, but Sometimes, in the end, oftentimes, we're lulled to sleep by this little thing called comfort. Comfort. Comfort becomes an idol. We begin to think that comfort and Christianity are the same. And this is probably, at least to some degree, why situations that produce varying kinds of desperation moderated all of them by the God of heaven, are sometimes allowed in our life because without them, many of us would hardly ever truly chase after Jesus. In that sense, we are opportunists more than disciplined followers. As it is, without any kind of disorientation, we'd move in such slow motion that the apocalypse could occur before we ever risk anything to be used by God how he wants to use us. The point that I'm getting at then is before the bottom falls out and right suddenly takes a wrong turn, before moral black mold spores sprout from the hidden insulation of your life, before what you once believed would keep you just real cozy begins killing you softly, take the risk to follow Jesus as if following Jesus matters because I'm here to tell you 
Every time I get up here in this chapel, following Jesus matters. The woman that we've read about possessed actionable congruence. All that is to say that she lived according to her convictions. After more than a decade of bleeding and the agony and the quarantined hardships that accompanied that kind of experience, remarkably, she still believed that healing was possible. Let me tell you something, you young folks. Don't you ever, ever underestimate the power of belief. Don't ever underestimate the power of belief. More importantly, don't underestimate the power of the one in whom you believe. There's, there's no way of knowing why this woman was stricken with such a terrible condition. But we do know, after striking out with one doctor, and then she probably maybe had a copay and seen another doctor, and, and then after that, seen countless more doctors, and she even liquidated her assets. We do know that all of that, in vain though it felt for her at the time, it led her to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't have a copay. Jesus doesn't have a secretary. Jesus didn't go to anybody's earthly medical school. Jesus is the great physician all by himself. And that is always a good thing, to be led to Jesus. The circumstances you may have issues with, the circumstances you may say, man, I, I would have rather not gone through that. But if it leads you to Jesus, then you might want to just shout in advance and say, you know what, I mean, it was, it was rough, but I appreciate it. If you're not knowing, let, let me tell you that believing in Jesus is risky. It is risky. And I'm not talking about believing Jesus to be what's right for you, but not what is right for your atheist neighbor. Or believing that Jesus is just an equal option among many others, among the smorgasbord of belief, because I'm just here to tell you, that's not biblical belief. If Jesus isn't universally true, that means for everybody, all time, past, present, future. If Jesus is not universally true, then what's the point of following him? If, if following him is, is no different than aligning one's life, following Jesus is no different than aligning your life with the tenets of Judaism or Sikhism or Islam or Taoism or anything else fill in the blank, if we're all going to enjoy the same transcendent peace when everything is just said and done, then Jesus isn't a big deal. Except that he is a big deal. Except that he's the biggest deal of big deals. The question, I'm coming back to it again, is will you take the risk to believe in him? This woman we've learned about was, was also so persistent, but she was unconventional. She, she wasn't addicted to trying to be cute with some ginormous giraffe-sized fake eyelashes. Y'all should laugh at that. I think that was really, really good. <laughs> she, she wasn't easily distracted, focusing on everyone and everything other than what was expedient for, for her life, and she just didn't care about looking unbecoming or uncivilized, unpolished, undone, because she needed 
Jesus. And at some point in your life, you, you're going to take off all the little, I got to get dressed up. You're not going to care about what other people say. You're going to say, you know what, y'all going to have to move. I need Jesus. And guess what? She got Jesus. She got Jesus. Today, will you, not your neighbor, not your significant other, not your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, grandma, aunt, cousin three times removed, but today, will you take the risk to lay down whatever cumbersome accoutrements you think can heal and trust the one for those who believe, you got to believe now, who will one day wipe away every tear from their eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or weeping or crying in pain for the, the older order of things have passed away. That's, that's just the one question I have for you today. Will you take the risk? Could I pray for you before we are dismissed? One of the great things about you, Lord God, is that nothing that you do is risky because you are God. There's, there's, there's no imminent danger. There's no, no sacrifice by nature of the fact that you are God. However, we, in following you, we, in trying to just figure things out in this earthly sojourn, uh, are full of trepidation and fear and all kinds of different struggles, God. We're full of sin. And so we just pray, God, in the name of Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of our need for you. And I don't care where we come from, what family system, what religious background, whether we have a lot of intellect or feel like that's not necessarily our lane, if we are athlete, not an athlete, whatever it may be, God, would you convict us of our need for you? And as you bring that conviction, as you bring that clarity, as you remove those scales from our eyes, God, would we seek out people who can help us understand what it means to follow Jesus? God, we're here at Trinity Western University, and there are a number of faculty and staff and even students as well who would love to walk alongside these young people who come to that point. And for those of us who already know you, God, would you, would you just use this word, your word, to challenge us? to break free from the trappings of comfort. God, would you be our refuge in this life? Would you be our faithful savior from now and forevermore? The people of God said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.